This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Hello and thanks for downloading another episode of the Glasgow's Green Podcast, aka GigPod. I'm Stevie and I hope you had a great new year, as best as you could at least. It's a big one. It's a game we've referenced since our comeback in November. It's Rangers v Celtic and it's going to be very real, very soon. Now there's no Reedzo on tonight, he's engrossed with the darts or has a hangover after consuming two bottles of Coors. So with me is Sean, aka Etienne Bojan, to help guide us through this preview. Sean, thank you for coming on again. You're very welcome Stevie, and just for your listeners just to know, I just won League 2 with Socia Montbelliard against my good friend Craig, it was a network game. So if there's anyone out there who's doubting my credentials as a Twitter manager, I've got silverware, I've got trophies to prove it. And uh, Stevie, lowest expected goals against, highest expected goals for, lowest amount of shots on target on my goal. I know what I'm talking about and if they just let me in that changing room, please let me in the changing room tomorrow, just before the game, we'll just make sure of this victory. Oh, not a rain in your parade or anything, but I won the Division 9 title in FIFA seasons with CSKA Moscow, beat teams and aboard them into submission with my horrible brand of football, but a bit let's sell it tomorrow, see if it comes to that at Ibrox, you'll take it won't you Sean? Absolutely, but I think we've both just received text messages from Peter Lovell that wants us on board and our new analysts, the new, uh, uh, I, I mean it's an interesting one Stevie because last time I was on this podcast was a very different experience and it was quite, quite sad to be honest uh, it was after we'd been humiliated again in Europe by Sparta Prague and enough was enough things have turned around since then better decisions have been made Sorrow is finally playing in this team single pivot defensive midfielder I don't know why the, the, the clubs are allergic to this idea that you can just have one man be your defensive midfield single pivot and he can do everything that two two players can do. It's always confused me. Hoffenheim signed Diadi Samaseku a couple of seasons ago and their coach at the time, Alfred Schroeder, kept playing uh, two sitting defensive midfielders when he had, who I'd regard pound for pound, one of the best defensive midfielders in, in football. And, um, and since then, the new managers put him just sitting as a single pivot, doing all that work himself, intercepting, tackling, breaking up the game. And it just frees up the players in front. If you look at McGregor, Turnbull, Christie and Cham, these are guys that you want to be defending from the front with. You don't particularly want Callum McGregor scrambling into the box to try and block a shot like we've seen in Europe all the time. We want Callum McGregor 
pressing up the pitch, defending high up, defending away from our goal where we can't be hurt. And I think what Sorrow has done is he's given these guys who, who are athletic and able to push up the pitch and press the game, he's given them a, a kind of assurance that he'll be there to mop anything up that gets through. And I just think it'll do us the world of good going forward. And I hope, I hope tomorrow, the kind of diamond thing that we've been playing can can get as a result and, and we can build on that. Because I think a defeat tomorrow is going to be so... Um, it will be damaging. And it'll be damaging. And, and the other thing is you, you'll just, a lot of people will lose enthusiasm for what I think is a step in the right direction from the last few games. The right decisions are being made and the right teams seem to be making it onto the field. The facts are Celtic are 16 points behind Rangers. A defeat would leave us 19 points behind. I think the league would be over. A draw would still suit Rangers and it's not a disaster for us. But Sean, I think we are both in agreement. We have to go to Ibrox there and win. And as you say, we have to build on that for the rest of the season ahead. It's the most important New Year's game against Rangers since 1998, the season when we stopped 10 in a row. Can we beat them? We can absolutely beat them and we can beat them fairly easily. We could beat them with a 7 out of 10 performance. We don't even have to play to, to an incredibly high standard. The the problem that all football teams have is that you can analyse as much data as possible, you can have the best players in the world, but it's very difficult to predict a game of football because so much of it is just complete randomness and luck. And the best you can do in football is to try and prevent randomness and luck from having too much of an influence on the game. One way you can do that is to have Sorrow in front of your defence um, instead of you know Scott Brown. Um, and nothing against Scott Brown, but there's there's times where you need to to move to a different player that's that's more athletic, that has a different skill set. And so what I can hope for tomorrow is that we put make them play the ball in areas where we are stronger than them, we can win the ball from them, and we can hurt them. That's it. If they whip a big stupid ball into the box like they do all the time and it cannons off someone's head and breaks to, you know, Hadji and it's a scrappy goal when they're 1-0 up, that is very, very likely to happen. But what I don't want to see tomorrow is hopeless, incompetent, incoherent tactics and Callum McGregor having to run back and make blocks in the box. See that chaos stuff, Stevie? That's what I don't want to see. What about the fact that Barkas has been called back into the team? I know, again, it's something that you personally feel that Barkas came into a very difficult situation and he was maligned a wee bit unfairly. Are you happy that he's going to be in goals at Ibrox tomorrow? I'm delighted he's going to be in goals. I, I don't. It's very difficult to judge someone like Barkas when he's in a team that is assembled every game to basically play into the hands of absolute football and chaos. It's very difficult to save the shots that he was expected, that people, you know, wrongly expect him to save. In the same way that people are wrongly expecting that every time Edward has a shot that's in the box, it should somehow go in. When it's just, it's just not the case. A lot of these chances are a lot harder than they look. And a lot of these saves are a lot harder than they look when, when you just put it down to like XG and, and stuff like that, which obviously people are still so so allergic to and, and dismissive of. Um, I like Barkas. I think he's a good keeper. I think he's technically very solid. He does things properly. 
Like, for example, the guy, uh, the number nine for Dundee United, there was a good wee counter-attack. They were sprinting through and goal. Uh, Barkas got dinked, and the ball was obviously rolling into the goal, and Julian cleared it. But that was actually really smart goalkeeping from Barkas. He forced the player into doing probably the lowest, you know, the lowest probability of a goal ever, which is to dink it that way, and he knew he had two... Uh, defenders covering for him, so I don't. I really actually quite like Barkas, and I think he's been so unfortunate with the lack of the lack of opportunities to make saves to build confidence with the support. This is a tough game tomorrow, and it's a ferocious derby. Yeah, but it's funny how people say, "Can can he handle that?" I mean, the guy <laughs> Athens derbies. I mean, I, I fire getting. I mean, come on. Fucking Hades is fucking coming on as a sub and doing two-footed challenges to people. It's absolute carnage. Well, if we look back at our last trip to Ibrox, of course, we were supposed to play there in March 2020, and then the pandemic made sure that wasn't going to happen. But before then, in September 2019, it was Rangers now Celtic 2. We only had 36% possession that game, and it was a perfect performance because Rangers were hyped again. A lot of similarities to tomorrow. Rangers are hyped up. They went into that game, I believe, on a 12-game unbeaten run. Uh, they just qualified for Europe again. They beat Ledger Warsaw a few days beforehand. We were stuttering a little bit and we had the clues debacle as well, just uh, previous to it. And a lot of people were saying Rangers just have to turn up and it's a given. Now, it didn't work, work out that way at all. We ended up going 1-0 up through Odson Edward with a really, really cool finish. And then Johnny Hayes scored with practically the last kick of the ball. We sat in, we contained them, we made it really difficult. We didn't give them a sniff up front and Julian was in Pires. I'm just wondering, for tomorrow, do we be that pragmatic? No, we can't. It's a, it's a difficult one, Stevie, because I think there's a there's different things going on. Like as, as a fan, you're watching, you're watching football, high-level football, but you've got this emotional attachment to it and you want to see certain things not necessarily going to help you win the game. Like, for example, Scott Brown doing a big tackle with somebody and screaming in their face, right? It's actually, it has an effect. I think it does have an effect, but it's got a, a much smaller effect in the outcome of a game than, you know, 1990s and 1980s football would like us yeah. to believe. So I'm not sure how much we should focus on that kind of stuff, to be honest. Uh, and getting in, get, being aggressive in the front foot and all that. I think we just have to be smart and and wise in our decision making. If I'm looking at Rangers, their weakness is the fact that their weakness is also their strength, which is an art cliche. But their strength yeah. is the fact that their fullbacks are essentially the 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 beating heart of that team. It's Fifty goals and assists between the both of them, I believe. Right, so, so you don't need to be a, you don't need to be some you know. Don't need to be Pep Guardiola to figure out what Rangers are doing with that team. I would allow their two, their right back and their left back to to come as far up the park as they want, because, like I said off air to you, Stevie, let's say it's Edward, El Yanusi, and Turnbull up front in a kind of trio, or Griffiths, Edward, and uh, Turnbull, whatever the combination. That trio is coming up. If they play a 4-3-3, that trio is coming up against Goldson, Hellander and Davis. Now, with all due respect to those three players, Edward will probably win the Champions League soon with a club, right? 
because he's not going to he's not going to go to Southampton for a for a wee English football tr- uh, patronising trial for a couple of years. Uh, El Yunusi is a top player, and Turnbull's get potential of being another absolutely outstanding footballer. I fancy that against them a lot. That that trio. And a way to get to expose that is to let their fullbacks gallivant up the pitch as much as possible and, and, and open up that space. What Rangers do really well, by the way, in that 4 3 3 is they get their, their, their left midfielder, their left central midfielder, and right central midfielder, kind of go over and cover. And they're very tight and compact and they're really good at doing it. And, and it's why you watch so many Rangers games and you're just like, how are their fullbacks not being punished? And it's just to, you know, to credit Rangers and their coaches and whatever that. They do it very well. But I suppose my point is is that we have to play into, you know, we have to play play into their weaknesses and allow them to, to lose the ball in areas that they don't want to lose it. And um, and also when they're trying to trying to form an attack. And and like like it's kind of been proven with kind of modern football, the, the most likely are to score is, you know, the few moments after just immediately winning the ball back. And that's what happened with that whole Gegen press thing in Germany with the counter press uh, ideology. So I would say that we have to be smart tomorrow. And I don't care if that's giving up possession or anything. I don't think those stats are really important. It's about being smart and it's about exploiting them. But what's interesting is the personnel of both teams since that game in October has changed drastically. Now tomorrow they're going to be without the two players that really made them tick in that particular game. Ryan Jack and Scott Arfield. We didn't have guys like Soro. We didn't have guys like David Turnbull. Edward wasn't even there for that game. And furthermore, we're no longer playing this 3-5-2 formation. That's been binned for what seems to be this 4-4-2 diamond. Now, we've talked about Rangers' weaknesses being their strengths, and we'll move on to that because their fullbacks are dangerous. I mean, when you look at the, the assisting goals between them, it's 50-odd or something. It could be over that now. It's a ridiculous stat, and when you look at our fullbacks, we are not as strong as they are, and it's about how do you stop the fullbacks, because it's alright saying they've done it against St Mirren, they've done it against Hamilton, but when you see them in Europe, when they've had to step up a gear as well, Sean, their fullbacks have been excellent, so I wouldn't just say it's a case of them dominating the Diddy teams, they have actually stepped up, and they've proved themselves to be Two extremely competent footballers. Yeah, yeah, they are. They're good footballers, and that's there's no there's no doubt about that. Rangers have got many many good footballers, um, and Celtic have got better footballers. By the way, there's no no question about that. Like Ayer will leave Celtic, go on and win a Champions League with someone in the next five years, and we will all look back and go, I cannot believe we actually had Christopher Ayer. I, I'm still convinced. I'm still convinced that Christopher Ayer is playing at a position. If I if I was a coach, which I am, because eh, I cut to see a football manager and a very successful one at that, with my League Two title sitting behind me, I would have him in, as a defensive midfielder. Frankly, just would be unbeatable. Just just basically a Norwegian version of you know, I don't know, like a Busquets, like a tall anchor man kind of midfielder. But anyway, I digress. Eh, they have good players. I think we have better players. I think we need to force them to play the ball into areas which we are dominant. If it's a 4-4-2 diamond against their we narrow 4-3-3 or even a 4-2-3-1 that I know that Juco James had been saying that they, they might revert to, um, we dominate um, the middle of the park with a diamond. 
So get make sure you're, you that ball is coming inside and that you're getting the, that you're pressing the ball when the ball's in areas where you have a numerical advantage and that's where the strikers really need to put a shift in. I'm not so sure Griffiths has got the fitness to do what's needed to force to force the, their two centre backs to, to be playing the ball, you know, inside instead of out wide. But like I said before, there's times in a game where we should allow their their, their wing backs, their full backs, whatever you want to call them, to get the ball and to come forward and to sit back and soak up a bit of pressure. Maybe revert to a four three one two, that old Inter Milan tactic that Mourinho used. You know, and they let they let teams have the ball out wide. They they um they encourage crossing from wide and from deep because because they were strong enough to deal with. Absolutely, Stevie. So. And with Sorrow, I'm very confident that when they're going to play those balls inside, even at, let's say they're playing a ball into Morelos' feet, I'm confident now that we have Sorrow there that he'll be intercepting. He'll be putting them under pressure. He won't be making silly fills. He won't be having, you know, these macho man Randy Savage v yes. Ultimate Warrior type fights with people on the pitch and making it all a big spectacle. So it takes the emotion out of the game and it's just simply a professional business-like performance. Whereas Scott Brown sees this as the, the arena, uh, the theatre and everything, and it's he puts so much emotion in it. And that's where we have faltered against them in the last few games because of Scott Brown making it all about him. I'd agree. And, and, and again, I don't, I, I don't want to make us a personal insult against Scott Brown because he probably isn't. That's just the way he's always really played. I remembered him doing that to, to, to people in 2007 when he played for Hibs. I remember him fights with Lennon in the park and slagging Lennon and stuff. So it's it's part of his game. And, and I think something that needs to be appreciated with Scott Brown is that I think that type of game allows him to get into a kind of flow state. I don't think Scott Brown goes out to make things all about himself. I think he needs that kind of motivation and personal fights on the pitch to, to get him into a flow state and to up his performance. However... I don't think that's necessary tomorrow and I don't think it's optimal. Um, and, and just a quick point on that thing you mentioned about emotion. Edward always gets slagged because he's uninterested and whatever, right? So you want to see a big wide smile and a big happy grin or, or an enthusiastic or whatever. That's what football fans, uh, that, that's something that football fans overvalue. And rightly so, because we're emotional creatures and we just want to see our team win. What I love about Edward is the fact that he is like that. He's Penenka in penalties and cup finals and no even celebrating them. That just shows you that this guy just doesn't really care about the pressure of the moments and he he does the right things in the best... He does the, the optimal things to score goals. I know he's been in a bit of a, a bad run recently with his finishing, but I like that kind of player in my team and I think those players are so dangerous in these kinds of games. Look at Morelos and how ineffective Morelos is in these games. He is, he's a sideshow, he's a sideshow Bob, he's a sideshow clown, he's fighting with people and off the ball and elbowing people and somehow because refs are doing funny handshakes at the start of games, no getting sent off, so that plays into our hands, if you take out a Scott Brown and put a Sorrow in and they go with a Morelos or they go with, you know, they used to have guys like Andy Halliday, and even Scott Arfield, you know, that get involved in all that stuff. The more, the less emotion in our players that can, you know, that can that can execute a plan, the better. Because we don't need to be, we don't even have the fans there, and I think not having the fans there makes that whole that whole thing even less important. The the emotional aspect, I think, we need to be clinical and we need to be perform like top level athletes, and we've got plenty of them. And you're talking there about how 
Morelos is a sideshow, and I agree, he's a clown, and I know he scored against St Mirren, and that, that'll be a, a champion war cry of him being back, but the reality is, he's a diddy, and he'll do nothing, but a player that we do have to look out for, I believe, is Kemal Roof, I think he's a threat, I think he's dangerous, and I think he can cause us serious problems, unless we get to grips with him very early on tomorrow. He's not a player that I think Celtic can't handle, he's not a player that I think Celtic... that should be afraid of. That's the one thing they don't have, Stevie. They haven't had it since they were the, they were the original Rangers, where there was players you genuinely did not want to have to watch play against your team. You know? You could probably think of more, because I was less, you know, I, I was a bit younger during the real dark days in the 90s, but let's be honest, right, I was a wee kid going to Celtic games in 97, 98, 96 was, I think, the first time I went. Um... Van Hoydonk and all that. I remember being a wee guy and Rangers turning up at Celtic Park with like <laughs> just ridiculous players that you'd seen playing World Cups. Brian Loudrop and stuff, and you're just like, how is this fair? How is this even what? How is this even being allowed nah, to happen? The big one, the big one for me is I know you can say Loudrop, Gaza, and the, even at one point fucking say Marco Negri and Gattuso and all that. The one was always Andy Gorham. As soon as Andy Gorham oh, was, was mentioned, it was like, ah, oh, well, that's oh, another that's clean sheet. That's another defeat. Rangers don't have that nowadays. They don't have that superstar, invincible sort of figure like Andy Gorham was, like Brian Loudrop was, like Paul Gascoigne was. But what they do have is they have a very well-drilled team instead of like these individuals that are, that are real stars. And in terms of your lineup and how you would set us out, do you think we're going to be more backs to the wall and what would I suit Shane Duffy? Uh, I wouldn't play Duffy. Duffy doesn't suit the team. It doesn't suit suit that. that um... So who would your defence be? Because I pers- I would love Ayer at right back, but that would mean you would have Beaton and Duffy in the middle. And when you've got that Morelos and, and Ruffin, you can't do that. So it's going to have to be Ayer taking control in the middle of defence and Frimpong at right back. But who's going to be next to Ayer? Is it going to be Beaton or is it going to be Duffy? That's a big question. I'd just put Ayer and Beaton probably. If Julian somehow is, is kinda kinda fit, then obviously Ayer, Julian. You could maybe get away with uh, Julian Beaton. Ayer, I just find it hilarious, by the way, that we're having this discussion as Joseph Simunovic just sits somewhere <laughs> without a club, fully fit, obviously waiting for a decent opportunity to come back into football. I know he's rejected a few contracts from a few decent clubs because they're not not the right fit for him. I was reading that article actually recently. I mean, honestly, Stevie, the fact that you know, I, I know there's lot lots of people like Beaton in that position, but Beaton is the perfect defensive midfielder anchor guy as well. They like, just play him in his proper position. Like, for so many, try to try to convert him into the centre back, which he, he's very good at. He's competent at it, but he's not. You know, I'd much rather a, jo- a Joseph Simunovic in there or somebody who's a really good box defender and can play and pass the ball. But anyway, we don't have him, so I would probably go with Beaton Ayer, centre-backs, and I would put Frimpong out right, and, I, you know, you would you can only hope that he starts getting better instructions and he starts, you know, his, his positional sense starts getting better and the more games he's playing, he's, you know, because let's, we cannot deny the qualities of... Uh, Jeremy Frimpong, he is absolutely terrifying going forward, it's particularly over like a 5-10 yards like sprint or, or like acceleration, it's, it's insane, Steve, I've never seen anybody move like him in my life, it's, it's just bizarre how quick he, he is, 
But um, I would go with, with Frimpong, Beaton, Ayer, probably probably Taylor, just be safe and just because Taylor's a, a good defender and, and can obviously speak the language lacks out still, I believe doesn't even speak the same language as everyone, so that's obviously a problem. Get him out of this country, Brexit means Brexit. Uh, like how South American footballers are now part of a Brexit racist campaign. That's the <laughs> kind of people that vote for that kind of stuff, genuinely. Um, but I, I mean... I, it's a difficult one. I hope Julian's fit because Julian is by far our best best defender in that regard. And I wouldn't play Duffy. And the reason I wouldn't play Duffy is that you would need. I would bring Duffy on to to protect something for the last fifteen minutes. But I don't think Duffy has the range of passing, has the the ability, the ball control, or the pace that would be needed for the kind of you know more positive line that were the defensive line that we'd be trying to play. And then in midfield, then. Is there going to be a wild card thrown in with Scott Brown and Soro, or do you reckon we'll just start with the way it's been with Soro and Tumble pulling the strings in midfield? He's got to play the diamond thing. He's got to stick to it. It works. Soro's very good, and he's in good form. He won't revert to Scott Brown. He will play the diamond tomorrow. Um, I like the diamond, by the way, but like I was saying earlier on, I, I would... When we lose the ball in certain situations, I wouldn't counter-press it. I wouldn't try and get the ball back. I would revert back to like that 4-3-1-2 that, that Mourinho used to play, which is basically, it is a kind of diamond. It's, it's, you know, Thomas Tuchel says that the more you play around the formations, the more that they just become the same. And you realise that most formations are just tiny deviations of, you know, a general shape. But I think that 4-3-1-2 if we lose possession and we're regrouping and trying to, could be really good for us because it gives their fullbacks the false sense of security to bomb forward. And that might be their greatest strength when they're playing St Mirren's and St Johnston's. And But look at our team. Look at the players that hopefully we'll take to the field tomorrow. Our midfield and our strikers are, are all of a really, really high level. And you've got to fancy... That if we went and, like you said before, no Jack, no Arfield. So they're weaker in that. Their midfield trio is not a strong midfield trio. They're, they're doing well because they're coached well. But that person, like individually, that is not a, a strong mid, midfield trio. So I would do a, I would, I would do a mixture of the diamond. And then at different times, I'd do the 4 3 one, two, sit, sit back a little bit, soak up some pressure, hit them in the counter attack. And would you have obviously Edwards going to start up front? Who would you have alongside them? Keep the partnership going with Griffiths? Personally, I would have it's mental and people are gonna scoff. I would play Klamala if he was fit for the one reason is to pro is to force their centre backs to not be able to pass the ball out to their full backs. Because Klamala could basically run all day. Well you saw that against you saw that against Leo. He was an absolute pest. He did he disrupted their defence all game. He, you can defend from the front with him. What I don't want, like I've said about four times this podcast, I do not want to see Callum McGregor sprinting back trying to block a shot in the box. I don't want to see that scenario. It's a scenario that I've seen so many times and it fills my heart with absolute sorrow. And hopefully there's, there's, there's only one uh, sense of sorrow tomorrow and that's him being immense and absolutely dominating the game. But yeah, defend from the front. 
I know people laugh and whatever, but Clamalas, I, I mean, this guy's 21 years old, playing professional football in, in, in Poland, scoring lots of goals for not a, that good a club. He signed for Celtic for, what, 4 million euros at the age of 21. The guy's no bad. He's not a bad footballer, guys. He's actually very good. And if you got him down a park, he would show you how good he was in about five minutes. You wouldn't see the ball and you'd be on your ass, And you'd never actually touch the ball off him. That's how good these professional footballers are, by the way. I'd have Klamala and I would have him just as a pressing a pressing machine and I'd just say, you do not let Goldson or or let's say let's see he's on the right hand side of the, the, the Jew, I'd say, you do not let Helander pass to, to Barisic. And he'll do that, he will fulfil that. Would can Griffiths do that? No. Can Ayeti do that? No. Can Edward do it on the other side? Yes, because he's fit and he's healthy. Um, so that would be my my controversial kind of way of viewing it. I'd, I'd try and defend from the front. And by the way, you can put Christie as a ten. You can put Turnbull as a ten. You could put El Yunusi as a ten. Those are three young, fit guys that can that can that can assist with that press. That can actually, you know, that can they can move into positions. They can assist with it. They can make the decision when to engage and when not engage. I beginning to talk myself into the fact that we're going to win this quite comfortably, Stevie. We said a now now draw. We've lost one now and then uh, last year we lost two one. Now I think we'll do a win. I don't think that trend's going to continue. And this is shoot prediction time. You've talked yourself into it. I think Celtic are going to win two 0 tomorrow. I think we're going to do to them what they did to us in October. I think we're going to get a goal early in the first half. And then midway through the second, I'm going to say it's going to be Celtic 2-0 tomorrow. What about you? Um, if we line up with uh, the, the the kind of 4-4-2 four, four, diamond, and even if it is Griffiths and Edward up front, the, the quality of finishing that you have there is, is sublime in the composure in the box. So if you get chances with those two, you invariably score goals. It's just a point of interest is going to be the left-back Who's he going to go with? Laxalt, by the way, is undoubtedly a good player. You know, you don't play for your national team at World Cups and be transferred for twenty million euros. But he was a good player, Stevie, in a really interesting time and in a really strange team in Genoa. I think they played like a three-four-three thing. So I'm not even convinced that Laxalt's really a left back. So I'd go with Taylor, and I'd and I'd and if that team makes it out, we we just Taylor left back and Griffiths up front and, and a diamond. I'd be happy enough with that, and I think, I think a kind of three-one is achievable because I, I'm not sure we're we're quite good enough to 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 have a clean sheet. So I think a three-one could be doable. But like most football games, Stevie, it, it, it's all momentum based. It's all sequences and you know bits of luck and a bad foul that leads you know a bad decision from the referee changes the whole game. So, but three-one could be could be the one. Well, it would be fascinating considering in t- 10 home games this season, Rangers have played 10, they've won 10, they've scored 32 and they've conceded 1, that was against Motherwell a couple of weeks ago, so even if we go there and only score 1 as well, as long as they're no scoring at all, it would suit me, I think 3 points are a must, um, and I think that is the general message on this podcast we just have to go there and we have to win Uh, and as you say be clinical and be smart and I'm dearly hoping that this team have learned the lessons of the last few big games and just don't look back after this and I'm hoping when we do the review that it's going to be a positive podcast I really really do but this has been episode 17 
and I'm Stevie and I want to thank you again for coming on Sean and giving up your time on New Year's Day you know there's not many people I would do that for but, but you're one of them you've got a heart of gold heart of green white and gold Podcast Network.